Now let's get into the actual music that's on this yeah. album. The album itself. <laughs> Not just the hour of explanation and lead up and <laughs> like build up to this album yeah. and now the actual thing. Now, was this album good, Chloe? Um, okay, so I am su- the thing is that nothing that I say about Fall Out Boy can be taken seriously at all because like I'm like fully in like long term like final stages of Fall Out Boy delusion where like they can do anything right. and I'm gonna be like they've done it again. They don't know how to miss. <laughs> um <laughs> But like I genuinely think that this is the best one that they've ever done. And ever. Ever. And I kept saying like i don't know if it's just because this is the most recent one and like it's recency bias but like the more that i listen to it the more that i am genuinely like this is them all of them like at the peak performance at the peak level of like collaboration that they've ever been at and i think this is the most confident that they've ever been putting a record together i think it's also the most cohesive like in terms of like, there's just a lot of lyrical themes that are, like, carried throughout mm-hmm. the entire album in a way mm-hmm. that we didn't necessarily see with all of their other albums. Like, with the exception of Folia Du bringing back, like, a line from Head First Slide in What I Catch Donnie. Yeah. But with this, there's, like, several threads that, like, pick up throughout the album through several different songs. Sorry to anyone listening to the back half of this podcast. My dogs have decided that now is the perfect time to play fight in the background. So I'm sorry that I'm not the professional audio engineer podcaster you came to this podcast for. But that's the reality <laughs> of the situation right now. But that, that that's totally a fair point about saying this is their best album in terms mm-hmm. of like cohesion and collaboration 100%. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I'm one of those like fuckheads that prefers this the sound of old fallout boy Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean i don't dislike the new sound i just prefer the old one more but still enjoy everything that fallout boy does Mm -hmm. for the most part with several stipulations because like i didn't love save rock and roll but it felt like the correct trajectory post folio do yeah sonically at least Mm -hmm. and then i didn't love american beauty american psycho and Mania was an album that I sure listened to and went to the tour for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's that. But this album, to me, felt like the perfect marriage between what Infinity on High was going, wanted to achieve, what Folio Do did achieve, mm-hmm. but in like a better and more almost like healthy <laughs> way. No, definitely. Like that's that's exactly it. Yeah, and I, so one of my friends, Karina, who is another one of, like, the follow-up boyfriend in my life besides you, Mm -hmm. and they're also, like, a brilliant writer and have, like, such amazing things to say about music Mm -hmm. all the time, and I respect their opinion about follow-up boy and music in general, Mm -hmm. like, so much, and they made a really good point being, like, everyone's gonna say that this album feels like the perfect parallel to either infinity on high or folio do but i think that it's save rock and roll mm-hmm. and i was like you're not wrong on that one for sure i just didn't like that album very much <laughs> i can absolutely see what they mean by that because save rock and roll mm-hmm. this kind of gives me a similar feeling to listening to like save rock and roll the song and what a mm-hmm. catch donnie where like when i got to the end of this album i was like that could be the last one and it would be okay you know for sure like i would Mm -hmm. miss them but it's also like 
well, you've fucking done it, you know? Like, what a catch Donnie felt like. Like, I listened to that and I was like, oh, they're breaking up after this, you know? Yeah, that's what I thought, too. Yeah. Which also, again, this is the moment where we say that the sequencing on Folio Do is its biggest problem and What a Catch Johnny should have been the final song on that album. I think it should have. Like, I'm not mad at West Coast Smoker being at the end because, like, it's such a fucking banger. But, mm-hmm. like, Folio Do ending with What a Catch Johnny just would have, like, slapped. Yeah. Save Rock and Roll as, like, the final track also. Like, just, like, I listened to that song and cried. Like, <laughs> bringing back, like, the bridge from tell that mick he just made my list of things to do today and Mm -hmm. then like the line in like the second verse when it's like patrick and elton singing i will defend the faith going down swinging is just like Mm -hmm. like (gasps) it's a band that rewards really following their career because like if you didn't like go to high school like searching for individual songs from take this to your grave on LimeWire and then like editing the metadata so that they were in the correct order on your iPod nano then like mm-hmm. hearing the first song off that album on the last song of an album that comes out in 2013 like is just not going to hit the same way no it's it's really not because I feel like most people who are casual fall boy fans like Listen to not the lyrics, but just the general sound. Yeah. Versus anything else. And then we'll care more about what happened on From Under the Cork Tree mm-hmm. rather than Take This to Your Grave. So it really is a reward. And like also similarly with What a Catch Donnie referencing lyrics from Evening Out with Your Girlfriend, yeah. which like you can't get unless you somehow like have, you know, LimeWire or live journal sharing community mp3 still of that ep i got that album for christmas from my mom (laughs) oh hell yeah so i do have a physical copy of that somewhere in here i have the files that i downloaded from a send space link on some file sharing community on live journal yeah that was honestly the move and like this is kind of an aside but like the fact that fallout boy and pete wentz especially have been like super vocally in support of pirating their music is yeah i love incredibly that. good i remember when infinity on high leaked and pete was like okay the version that leaked is shit here's like the actual files <laughs> <laughs> and this is also funny because it's coming from the band that constantly puts out a million different like limited edition pressings like vinyl pressings all yeah the time. with like bonus tracks and shit Maybe because that's where they know the big money is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, and they're like, we don't care how you get the digital version, but the physical version? Oh, exactly. Yeah. So, like, again, my friend Karina wrote a brilliant write-up on their personal blog that I'm going to quote. Sorry, Karina. Um, this is also my public call-out post for you to do music writing in a more serious capacity. Again, <laughs> because we desperately need your voice in this. And you write my thoughts better than I ever could on stuff. <laughs> So now I'm going to read your words instead of my own thoughts because you said it better than me. Would you say that they write it better than you ever felt it? I would go so far <laughs> to say that. And I'm sure you're so fucking proud of that one. To where Karina said, like, listening to so much uh, for Stardust has changed my perspective on what they've been doing the last couple album cycles because I can see where those threads are leading us now. 
And then also mentions going back to bringing uh, Joe and Andy back in the fold in the more collaborative process about mm-hmm. things and going back to Neil Avron, uh, who was the producer on Folio Do, which we mentioned in the first half of this episode, where... Hold on. Going back to work with a producer from the guitar era, height of their fame to blood curdling oversaturation that led to them feeling shamed out of the spotlight as now industry veterans is incredible. Stardust is polished and settled where Infinity on High felt lost grappling. While people will understandably rush to compare this album to Folio Do and uh, Infinity on High, I think this album sits much more closer to answering any and all questions posited in Save Rock and Roll. This album is reflective while also not shying away from experimenting with those sounds they were touring with in the two releases and then mania always felt like a fall boy inspired band's first or second album trying to piece together the past of a band that's existed for over two decades and emulate the things that worked for them while making a lot of hits but some flabbergasting misses stardust not only makes sense of that feeling for me but it sounds so fine-tuned compared to the undercooked american beauty and american psycho which like yep Th- mm-hmm. like those are my exact thoughts on this album i can definitely see that like uh, yeah it's it's very interesting because like the entire promo cycle going up to this, like everything they said was it's definitely got like it's got guitar and drum focus again, but it's not a throwback. We're going back to Neil Avron, but it's not a throwback. Like they have really, really resisted the idea that they're doing this like for nostalgia's sake and have really, mm-hmm. really like emphasized like, no, we didn't want this to just be like we're doing it just because we can. We're just doing like whatever. We're going to throw something out and then go on a tour and mm-hmm. like especially patrick mentioning that joe brought up like we need to make something that we love and that we can really savor making and mm-hmm. like that we can it has to really really be worth it and pete said the same thing like if i'm leaving my house it has to be fucking worth it and yeah i think that it really shines through that like they all worked on this in a way that they haven't all worked on something together in a while mm mm-hmm. mhm like it just it blows me away every time i listen to it it like it's so clean and it's so it gets down to like the brass tacks of the thesis about like post industry like what's the what's the word i'm looking for like i guess like industry veteran like post mtv success mm-hmm. you know that they're not just some underground band anymore that they're commercially successful they're a household name and people know who pete wentz is when you say who pete wentz is yeah kind of thing Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of the other albums were trying to, how do you straddle both worlds? And now this feels a lot more settled and more like, all right, this is who we are. This is what we sound like now. And this is a a correct like transition and correct um, evolution of what our sound is. And like, we're not going back to what we used to sound like. This is what we sound like now. Yes, Andy said something really similar in um this interview. They had a cover story for like Dork uh magazine mm-hmm. like this month where Andy said, We've solved the contradictions of our two eras and now new contradictions will arise. Like mm-hmm. they've so perfectly taken all of the parts of like their pop punk era and then they're like kind of more orchestral like big big sound era and they have combined Mm -hmm. those so perfectly and it's it's so good like the thing that i keep returning back to thinking like listening to the album top to bottom Mm -hmm. has been like we know that fall boy is obsessed with movies especially like even before this album cycle like 
Pete and Patrick have mentioned that writing movie score-esque albums has always been an, of an interest and desire of them to do. Mm-hmm. And like that's kind of achieved with everything like Folio do and Pass and like mm-hmm. Internet and High kind of has a little bit of that like starting of that kind of uh sound. Yeah. But this one I'm like, oh, so we have the build up. We have callbacks within it. It's like everything is incredibly cinematic in its mm-hmm. sound. Like I made sure the first listen through I did was on like my really good nice headphones. And the amount of stuff that is completely lost when you listen to it in like a car speaker, mm-hmm. you're like, holy shit, they really did just write a movie score. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and it's so structured. Mm-hmm. Like it's incredible. There's and there's also like the intermission, the spoken word part. Honestly, it felt with because there's two spoken word tracks mm-hmm. on this album. One is Ethan Hawk. And- yeah, one is e- Ethan <laughs> fucking Hawk. Yeah, you know because they're that level of celebrity now where they can just like you know get yeah. Ethan Hawk, which I which is to say now like they didn't get Jay Z on fucking Infinity on High. Yeah, and then like Little Wayne and mm-hmm. Elton John on other ones, but you know what I mean. Yeah, that's an it's an actor, not a, a musician. Uh huh. It's different. I mean, Uma Thurman gave them permission to use her name with uh, Uma Thurman. I didn't know that. And yeah, they asked her before they put the song out. They were like, hey, this song has like your name in it, but like it's a reference to your character. Like is, would you be uncomfortable with that? And she was like, no, that's cool. So like. It's interesting that they went for Uma Thurman and then got Ethan Hawke. I know. They're going to get Maya Hawke for the next one. You're getting, they're going to collect the whole family. She's going to have a feature on the next album. The, the next album is going to be um, music videos for every single song again, like uh, with Save Rock and Roll. Yes. Except that it's just going to be like a Maya Hawk movie. Yeah, exactly. And that's the evolution. But that's their final form. With the two spoken word tracks, it felt a lot, almost like the Rent soundtrack to me, like the original Broadway recording oh. of the Rent soundtrack with all the like the little inter, like all the voicemails and stuff. It felt like that to me because... More so than just a movie score, this felt like a musical yes. movie score I can because of see the that. amount of, like, especially in So Much for Stardust, the direct callback to the top of the album, mm-hmm. which is such an incredibly musical thing to do yeah. that not a lot of bands who say that they're writing a concept album or something that could be a musical end up doing. Mm-hmm. The only ones I can really think of that end up doing something like that when they directly the aim is to create a concept album. Not, and I'm not saying that so much for artist is one, mm-hmm. but like I know that Hazards of Love by the Decemberist does that a lot. Yes. Um, and then probably a couple Coheed and Cambria albums, honestly. But like any other major, Fuck, I was just thinking about Coheed and Cambria earlier today. Love, <laughs> like, because I was thinking like this isn't a concept album, and they haven't called it that. But at the same time, if someone told me it was a concept album, I would be like, yeah, I of course it is. Them. Yeah, no, I see yeah. it. Yeah. There's a very specific point of per like point of view in mm-hmm. this, and it's very easy. Like honestly, this is like an album that someone could very easily go in and write an entire screenplay for because there is a very natural like arc to everything. Oh, yeah. And the more I listen to it, the more like the narrative kind of emerges to me and I mm-hmm. sit there in my delusion and convince myself that like Pete has sent me a coded message. And I'm like, I I understand what you're telling me, Pete. I really get it. Not in a, like a, I'm going to show up at his house way, but just like in a, I understand what your art means, you know? Like, it's like the, um, the, the galaxy brain, like mental 
connection. It's genuinely just like me as like an untreated bipolar disorder teenager formed a psychic bond with Pete. And uh, the only thing I can use it for is that when he writes an album, I'm like, I know what that means. And Mm -hmm. I can't use it for anything else. So. And that's beautiful. And that's why we have a podcast now. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It was all leading to having a I'm taking it all the way to the bank. Getting that sweet, free podcast money. (laughs) (laughs) So, besides just, like, the overall, you know, it as a whole, Mm -hmm. there's, uh, we also have, they've been doing, like, a ton of interviews. Yeah. And the the lead up to the album, I feel like longer and more of them than I remember there previously being Mm -hmm. a lot of the times. And also, a big thing is that we have... Andy speaking in stuff, talking about it. Andy speaking in stuff has been incredible. Because, like, so I love it. Interviews with Fallout Boy genuinely used to be just Pete talking. Like, if everyone was there and they all had microphones, Pete was the only one answering questions. And sometimes Joe would make a joke and sometimes Patrick would answer a question too. And Andy would really just kind of like hang out. He's like, I'm in the band. And then it eventually became like they were only calling Pete and Patrick for interviews because they were like, these other guys are not participating. (laughs) And if we don't have to set up two more mics and we won't set up two more mics. Exactly. And even then, like in the interview that they did with uh, Zane Lowe for Apple Music, Mm -hmm. uh, Zane says like in the early days of Fall Out Boy, he remembers interviewing them and that Patrick was so shy and so unwilling to talk. He says like, Anytime I asked you, like, a normal question, I felt like I was bullying you because you just had, like, such an (laughs) extreme response to being spoken to. He was like, I don't want to be here. And now he, like, talks in interviews and, like, really has stuff to say. And it's like, okay, like, why weren't you doing this the whole time? Like, you have interesting things to say. Yeah. And also the so many of the interviews now, I'm like, oh, we are actually seeing the camaraderie of Fall Out Boy and, like, the actual interpersonal relationships and friendships and dynamics that I feel like they weren't really on display. Yeah, definitely not as much. Like, we saw and them... it's been really fun. ...joking a lot, I guess. And, like, mm. kind of, like, having fun together like that. But, like, in the Zane Lowe interview when, like, Pete makes a joke about how they, like, weren't friends during the hiatus and... Or Patrick says... Patrick says that. And Pete gets so sad. Yeah, like pete is like wow we weren't friends and he's joking but like patrick kind of gets a little like nervous i guess and starts like explaining mm-hmm. it and then pete is like i was kidding i was kidding and like puts his hand on his leg and is like patrick i was kidding and patrick is like i know <laughs> but like i'm answering the question <laughs> like it's disgusting how married fall boy are to each other they genuinely kind of are like and that's like like that's not even like a a goggles thing that's just like pete will log on to genius.com and be like this lyric was about patrick and it's like oh that's devastating like yeah i'm like wow you really found your like platonic creative partner soulmate yeah and then made him sing about himself that's hilarious that's so funny and then also joe's like i helped make this band yeah i was the first member of fallout boy (laughs) and andy is just like i'm here and i had three chihuahuas and and i won't talk about them <laughs> and i won't i like found his uh 
fiance on TikTok because she like mm-hmm. is kind of like a hair and makeup, not like influencer, but like she posts videos and like she'll occasionally post videos with him in them too. And he is like always holding one of those fucking chihuahuas. Like he fucking loves he those chihuahuas. loves those dogs. And she posted one that was just like, yeah, Andy got home from work from like tour today. So like the dogs only want to hang out with him. And it's like, yeah, of course they do. Yeah. Like, he's literally nice. She has described him as a golden retriever boyfriend. Yeah, which, like... Straight golden retriever boyfriend. (laughs) Which, like, honestly, like, as an adult on TikTok, sometimes I'm like, okay, yeah, no, like, alt-girlfriend and golden retriever boyfriend. Like, can we talk about this? Like, we're people. But, like, it's so novel to hear Andy Hurley referred to as that because he's, like, if we're going by, like, stereotypes of what scary people look like... And how, like, I don't know, your grandma might think that somebody with, like, a lot of tattoos is scary Mm -hmm. looking. Andy doesn't look like what most people consider to be a golden retriever boyfriend. So, like, the novelty is so strong that I'm just kind of like, yeah, sure. (laughs) And then you see her say that and you're like, yeah, you're right. I don't know him personally. Like, you know him personally because you're going to get married. Yeah. Like, aw. This is the- That entire- that entire sidebar was to say that there is a track commentary posted from Pete and Andy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry, it's just this whole album cycle. Every time they have Andy doing something, I'm like texting you and I'm texting like my friend Emily, who like has been into Fall Out Boy like with me since we were children. And I'm like, has Andy always been like cute and funny? Like, and we just never saw him talk? Like, is that it? It's literally it. You're like, yeah, I think we just, like, he never talked. So we didn't know mm-hmm. that he's, like, cute and funny. The only thing I knew about him was that he was an anarchist. Yeah, I was like, he is, like, hard. I don't know if he was ever straight edge. But I was like, he's He vegan. still is. He's I'm pretty straight sure. Straight edge? Yeah, I'm pretty no sure shit. he is. Andy Damn. Hurley, straight edge. Hope you like my typing ASMR. It was so beautiful. Click, clack, click, clack, click, clack. Uh, personal life and views. He's the only member of Fall Out Boy to remain straight edge because they were all straight edge when the band started. He has been a vegan since he was 16. Damn. <laughs> he identifies himself as an anarcho-primitivist, explaining that he this means he believes that humans are supposed to live the way they lived prior to 10,000 years ago. When asked about this in the February 2007 issue of Alternative Press, he said that his career contradicted his beliefs, but at the same time he had to make a living. <laughs> In another life, Andy Hurley is those dudes making like in like incredible like structures, like pools and like ceramic tile out of goop and like bamboo. Oh my god. <laughs> Andy is woods. one of those like dudes rock guys who's really just like, yeah, like posting a like video that's really sped up of him like building a shelter in a hole. Literally. That's him. It also says he's a CrossFit athlete, but to my knowledge That doesn't surprise me. He like publicly turned his back on crossfit on twitter because he didn't think that their response to black lives matter was robust enough he wanted them to be doing more for black people and so he was like i'm not going to crossfit gyms anymore go off king yeah i like i don't know what crossfit did that wasn't enough or didn't do because i don't know fuck all about crossfit but like sure the dude who started crossfit i think Thing. i'm not looking this up this is all alleged and i'm not claiming it one way or another but i think he ended up being a dickbag and like was racist and also like a little bit crazy that might be it then and stuff so thus you know 
CrossFit affiliated work. It's like how the how it turns out that one of the sects of uh, yoga, I think mm-hmm. Bikram yoga, yeah, they had to like overhaul it because it turns out the guy who invented Bikram yoga is a huge piece of shit. So now, like, the entire global yoga community is trying to distance himself away from that kind of yoga and, like, calling it that way. <sighs> that seems really hard. That it seems does. like a really difficult undertaking. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anyway. commentary from Pete and Andy. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, it is posted on morecore.tv's uh, YouTube channel. It is maybe the worst shot video I've ever seen. It looks like it was shot in, like, 2004 because they're sitting in front of a super brightly lit window so like the camera mm. cannot focus <laughs> but they have good things to say i also it that like warms the cockles of my heart that fall boy will still do interviews that look like shit yeah <laughs> like just back to diy more like, people should do that an interview where everything looks like garbage yeah if we want to come on our we'll do yeah. it <laughs> fuck it i don't even have a webcam like it could be that bad I do, but I have the one that just is uh, installed on my laptop by default, and it's at the bottom of the screen, which is a stupid place to put a camera. Nobody looks good from that angle. I was going to say, the, you know, the the most commonly referred to best angle for someone. Yeah. Like, why would you do that? That's Fucking, insanity. Who is that makes, Alienware? Who made this laptop? Do this you have an is... Alienware laptop? No, I have um, a far more embarrassing laptop. Razor? No, it is uh, Republic of Gamers. <laughs> yeah, it's the worst shit in the world. Um, but The Sims looks so fucking good on this thing. So, so that's what matters. So here we are. Anyway, um, anyway, <laughs> commentary track from Pete and Andy. Take a shot every time we say anyway. Trying to just get through the track list, but we keep finding more fun things to talk. Yeah. About. <laughs> so Andy says Andy has an opinion that he vocalizes. Yeah. Which is about Love from the Other Side and says, it's a banger. And that it sounded like a super fun song to play live. Yeah. That was when uh, Thanks, Andy. Patrick played them the demo. Love from the Other Side, first song that they released from this album. I immediately loved it. And yes, it got a music video that is so fucking goofy, but that definitely makes me cry every single time I watch it. <laughs> yeah. The music video is a lot of fun. We can't even get into the whole music video thing right now or else this, this podcast episode is going to be like five hours long. Yeah. Great video. Like just a brief, I guess, summary because I don't want to talk about the entire video. But like the fact that it's about them being like literally buoyed by their fans, tears, and then rescued again by their fans like, when they're on that little island. And the fact that both times that they're saved by their fans, like, those fans are women. Mm-hmm. And the fact that once they've almost made it to success by abandoning them, Patrick is like, no, we have to go back for them. It's yeah. it's just very, like, okay. It's very, not to make it, like, a weird parasocial thing where, like, I think there's a relationship. But, like, there is a relationship between an artist and an audience and like this is an artist or a group of artists who love and appreciate their audience Mm -hmm. and i think in a healthier way than a lot of bands do especially now yeah yeah especially when like parasocial relationships are packaged the way that they are i i cannot throw stones in glass houses because i'm a k-pop fan but like you know but i mean that you're you're aware of how that works Oh, yeah, like, I'm not I'm not delusional and I think that, you know, Scoops Von 17 is going to be my boyfriend, but <laughs> you know. Yeah, but this is it's just such a night. Nice, it's like a it was really a love letter 
to the fans. Mm-hmm. And also, like, an embracing... Sorry, I'm also eating... This is a bad podcast. Etiquette. I'm eating some weird-flavored Skittles. Um, you are all... You've been eating weird-flavored Skittles for three <laughs> days now. Are you not done no. them? No, I didn't finish them. How fucking big is the bag? It's not big. Oh, my God. <laughs> We started recording um, this, full disclosure, we started recording this on Saturday, and then both had shit to do. It is now Monday. Rhea is still eating the weird flavored Skittles. It tastes like Rosen Sakura. What? What Skittles are these? They're from China. What the fuck? I don't know. A friend gave them to me. Got me Googling Chinese Skittles. <laughs> so... It's also really sweet that, like, the vi- the video actively embraces, like, yeah, scene girls carried this band. Mm-hmm. Emo kids carried this band. Yeah. We love our weird emo fans. Exactly. It's, uh, especially since, like, every band from this era was so intent on being, like, we're not emo. That's not a label that we ascribe ourselves to. Ascribe ourselves to. That's not us. Um, but while not really offering like an alternate genre title, mm-hmm. which like they're not obligated to do, but like no, it's also just like nobody wanted to be called emo, nobody. So <laughs> there was so much like weird stigma around it mm-hmm. at a certain point, which like we get into. We're gonna get into it like that whole thing um in the upcoming episodes, mm-hmm. but like y'all know what we're talking about. So yeah, nobody wanted to be emo. So for them to say like okay we're making a stop on emo island and like that's where we learn to use our music as a weapon and that's where we learn who is supporting us and like that's where Mm -hmm. we gain our power is kind of like oh okay it's a little bit like not revising their history but Mm -hmm. like acknowledging it for for Mm -hmm. what it was and then so moving on to heartbreak feels so good andy has to say he has so much to say and it only feels like so much because andy never talks Uh uh-huh Heartbreak feels so good. Andy says, that is a great song. That's it. Yeah. Pete says, there's a nod to the movie Nope. Great movie. Well done. Doesn't have to do with a ton with the song, of which you made a note being like, I disagree. I do disagree. Um. Okay. So. Get into that. Here's your first dose of Pete Wentz movie night with your host, me, Chloe, Vaughn, So Emo, I Fell Apart. So Nope uh, from director Jordan Peele. It's my favorite one of his movies, I think. Mm-hmm. And it is a movie about the fear that comes with being seen and Mm -hmm. like the horror of being looked at and being made like less of a living thing by having been looked at like the the examples that they give in this movie are like a monkey that is used in a sitcom and like a horse that's being used on a commercial shoot and then like this extraterrestrial that they're trying to get photographic evidence of so that they can sell it and save their ranch and the whole thing is that like all of these things are resisting being seen and like the implication is that being looked at is like the most damaging thing that can happen to you because Mm -hmm. you are now subjected to a million different perceptions that you have no control over and your image is out there and there's nothing you can do about it Mm -hmm. and you're not being treated as a person and you're not even being treated as an animal you're just being treated as entertainment so when we get a reference to nope in a song on an album that is so much about an era because this album is really returning 
to like the post Foliadu era where Pete was so much in the public eye. Like it was the most famous that he'd ever been where he was going through a divorce, where he was very publicly going through an addiction. And to write about that, that was him undergoing like this horror of just being seen and being looked at every single day mm-hmm. and being written about. And like Patrick in that Zane Lowe interview talks about how that level of fame was putting a wall between him and Pete. And they say like, it was like, we couldn't get to him because mm-hmm. there was like so much fame. We just couldn't reach him. I didn't have access to him. And, and that's a crazy thing to say about someone in, the same band as you yeah and patrick says in this interview he says like i'm a composer i work on tv and i work on movies and i work on pete so like Mm -hmm. when he was so closed off because like you can't fucking get to him because he's trapped behind like layers and layers of like paparazzi and people writing about him and people wanting things from him and to cope with that he's doing so much fucking cocaine he was saying like i not only like didn't have access to my friend i didn't have access to like my art like Mm -hmm. it was so dehumanizing and so like just removed the purpose from all of them Mm -hmm. and i think that like like pete says like it doesn't have a ton to do with this song it does it has a ton to do with the entire album like that's the thesis of this album dog yeah is that like one i mean i think there's a couple different thesis of this album but like yeah when throughout it he's talking about like i'm gonna try and be what you want me to be I can't be what you want me to be. I like, I want to, I want to be this thing for you. It's like, okay, like you're, you're trying to make yourself something you're not, which is mm-hmm. what we get in. Nope. When they take a wild animal and they try to make it into something that you can put on a sitcom. Yeah. Everyone has to fucking watch. Nope. Thank you for giving me the um, rundown of Nope, because I am a notorious scaredy cat and got so fucking terrified of us that I was like, well, I really respect Jordan Peele as an auteur. Can't watch this movie. Too scary. If I I think that like the first act of Nope or uh, of Nope is a horror movie and then like the last two thirds are fully like an action cowboy movie. Oh, okay. Cause at a certain point I was like, Oh, I'm not scared anymore, but like I am anxious, I guess. Yeah. But it was less like, oh, something scary's gonna happen and more like Suspense. I was I was watching like an action movie. Yeah. Gotcha, I, gotcha, I gotcha, feel gotcha, like gotcha, it gotcha. was be something that you could maybe handle. All right, that's but good. But it depends. I was it able depends. to handle. I was able to handle Get Out. Yeah, I would. I would say that like the first bit of that movie is like Get Out level scary, and then the rest is solidly an action movie. All right, that's good to know. Yeah, maybe I give Nope a watch. Give Nope a watch, and then listen to this album again, and you'll be like, "Wow, wow, yeah." I understand this, is, this more now. Intertextuality. <laughs> this is where, earlier when I was like, I love Pete, like connecting reality bites and field of dreams. Like those are two things that have anything in common. And then Pete saying, nope has nothing to do with my album. And I'm like, okay, but you're wrong because it does. <laughs> yeah. We dude. went to the same school of, I will invent intertextuality where there is none. <laughs> All right. So we're going to move on now. Cause if we keep doing this for every single song again, I don't think I'll have to do it for every single song. So okay. I think I think we're safe now. We're in the safe zone. We're safe now? Okay. Yeah. So then going through, again, their commentary from Pete and Andy for Hold Me Like a Grudge, uh, it reminds Pete of 2000 Alternative Radio, but the chorus is distinctly Patrick Stump. Mm-hmm. Fully agree. Yeah. I really like this one. This is, I, out of the three that got like pre-released, mm-hmm. this is my favorite one of the three pre-released songs. Yeah? For sure. Yeah. Wow. 
I just like the sound of it more. Yeah. The most. Because I... You love 2000s alternative radio. That is basically that is all you. that I listen to and I still listen to. And if something sounds even vaguely like pop punk, I'm like, this is the best song I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Which is why 2 minus 1 by 17 is their greatest song. It's only by two members. And it's because one of them is in his Avril Lavigne pop punk phase. And the other one is the same age as me. I LA. make everyone at my work listen to that every single day. Good, because that song is so fucking good. It's really good. And then we get to my favorite song on the album, I think, which mm-hmm. is Fake Out. Fake Out is my favorite song on this album. Okay. It was the one that made me, like, the first lyrics, because I listened to this and also looked at the lyrics at the exact same time, because I have... Whenever I listen to an album for the first time, I go purely based on sound alone, and then I go back and listen to it for the lyrics and mm-hmm. stuff. And then also I have a hard time understanding Patrick sing a lot of the times. Yeah. <laughs> so I made a conscious effort to like sit down, really focus on the album and only listen and listen to it and read along the lyrics at the exact same time. And so reading these lyrics with the song, I was like, oh, oh yeah. my God. Yeah. Good Lord. It's it's really good lyrics. It's so fucking good. Pete calls it a sleeper. Andy mm-hmm. says it really grew on him and he loves the bridge and they both agree that it is influenced by the cure. And I can tell you right now that when I was driving back from Target today mm-hmm. um, and I was listening to the album again, I was like, I have to make a note to talk about in the podcast that it sounds like the cure and the Smiths. <laughs> and then lo and behold, I definitely <laughs> see the Smiths. The same thing mm-hmm. about it. I, I honestly hear more of the Smiths than I hear the cure, mm-hmm. but I feel like there's a resistance now to associating anything with the Smiths, which is yeah. understandable. Um. <laughs> uh joe troman has like two different smith's lyrics tattoos on him including like fully like a womb tattoo on his stomach and in his book he's kind of like oops (laughs) yeah (laughs) that guy sucks (laughs) yeah it's like how colin malloy has like in the tattoo font just maz like tattooed front and center oh no like that's bad not even like a smith's lyric just like morrissey's name oh my god okay well, everybody makes mistakes. Oh, I do just want to mention the bridge that Andy says that he likes because I really like the lyrics. We all started off as shiny dimes, but we got flipped too many times. We did it for futures that never came and for pasts that were never going to change. Time is the big theme of this album, I feel. Yeah, for sure. All right. Heaven, Iowa. Uh, and this is one of the first songs that Patrick demoed. And mm-hmm. Pete is interested to hear what people think about it. And Andy says it's his favorite and this song i i had a full like jaw drop moment listening to it for the first time knocked my head clean off my neck like <laughs> it's gone holy shit it is not surprising that this would be andy's favorite on the record cuz i think this is like the one with maybe the most buck wild drums and also like a full on like sonic reference to in the air tonight like yeah they really just did the drums from in the air tonight and it hits it's so good and then like towards the end like when they get into like that last repetition of the chorus like Mm -hmm. the drums and the guitar both just go off and like it's so like it's not like heavy as in like like hardcore but like it's like it's heavy like Mm -hmm. there's a lot going on there and it like None of it overwhelms each other. Like, it just, like, it works. The guitars a lot in, in several of the songs kind of harken back to what Infinity on High sounded like. Mm-hmm. And I really liked that. Like, yeah. 
like I said, mentioned in the top half of the episode that I'd listened to like everything that followed, like every Fall Out Boy album from start to finish chronologically leading up to this album. And it shocked me to hear how long they held on to like the, the heavy, repetitive, hardcore, like chunky guitar riffs so deep into their career. And then it falls away a little bit after Folio Do. And mm-hmm. then we get back into it with this album. I was like, fuck, yes. Fall Out Boy's back, baby. They're fucking back. Like, I don't, it's just, like, Pete said he hates when people say a return to form. And to me, I wouldn't say this is a return to form because this is not something that they've ever been, necessarily. No. It is truly, like, a combo of all of their eras. And, like, they're taking the best parts from all of it. Like, this is what Pete even said about the album, which is, like, you can read this quote that he says on the actual, like, genius page for this album. But he says... Our band has been an ongoing art project for 20 years, and we know there have been many inception points along that journey. We wanted to create an album that merged those points together, something new but carved from our foundation. Feel by Ramen and Electra seem like the perfect home for this, which is completely true. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all this is. It's just, like, not a return to form, but better, but better and where they're supposed to be. Yeah, it's just, like, a complete reformation, basically. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it also, like, it's such classic Pete Wentz lyrics of when I heard Scar Cross Lovers, I was like, yeah. Oh my yeah, you would, god, you it's would, so you, good. You, thought, you were oh. so, you thought you were so brilliant for that, Peter. And he was right. I'm, like, I heard that and I was like, fuck, I, I never ever want to go back to high school. But for, like, five minutes, I was like, I wish that I had a binder that I was keeping my notes in so that I could get a, a big fat fucking sharpie and write scar crossed lovers on the front of my binder this is why people have bullet journals now it fully is like i think that's it (laughs) i think that would be the thing to get me (laughs) that's gonna be the thing that gets me to finally have a bullet journal is just be like oh i put my myspace status in there yeah okay gotcha i understand what it's for now (laughs) it's all coming together this also reminded me of so that the binder thing reminded me. So when Folio Do first came out, I was really into painting on big pieces of cardboard because I was a mm-hmm. teenager and I it was cheap and it was there. And I remember I did this whole like lyric handwritten like handwritten font fun thing with uh-huh. detox just to retox. And my boyfriend at the time sent me like several many concerned text messages about it because like it's like what does this even mean? Like I don't uh. Oh, it was boycott. I also include the boycott love part. So we thought like something was going wrong in our relationship. Meanwhile, I was fucking 15 and I was like, mm-hmm. dude, you're 19. Can we be fucking serious for a hot <laughs> and, it, and it's like, you very clearly don't understand the time honor tradition of being alt and f- latching onto your like emo lyric of choice and putting it everywhere that you possibly can. You may not yeah. be able to fully like connect to what that means because, you know, you're from the suburbs and you're 15 but boy does it sound cool and you'll Mm -hmm. understand what that means eventually later on in life yeah it's fully like it's got nothing to do with you this is about me and my walk with christ except instead of christ it's pete wentz it's pete wentz (laughs) this is the journey that i'm on with him don't worry about it it's personal it's personal you wouldn't get it but yes scar cross lovers would have been the like cardboard paint yeah that's one it's if i was 15 for this album it's really good and like Patrick's voice on this is just like unbelievable and like the build up to that like when the full like band comes in like it's so satisfying 
Oh, it's so good. Like I was listening to that. Like, okay, when's the guitar gonna start? When's it? When when are they coming in? And then when they did, I was like, "Fuck, you were right to make me wait for this because like, yeah, we need the payoff for this. I needed to get ready to hear this. It's good. It's so good. And then after that, we have so good right now, which Pete says he heard this chorus from Patrick a while ago, and quote. Something we can make. It's got a happiness, a lightness of the chorus, but the lyrics have a bittersweet quality to them. Bittersweet is a um, light word to use for these lyrics. Yeah. But going on to say that he, he says, it's dialectical. Songs are happy, but then it's got lyrics that don't reflect that. Great word you just used. Yeah. This is the most I've ever seen Andy talk is when he was like, it's dialectical. Uh, it's mm-hmm. dialectics. And Pete like just stares at him while he's saying that like, holy fuck. Like, you're talking a lot. But it's it's true. Like, that's exactly what it is. Wonderful juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. And it samples at the beginning Itty Bitty Pretty Thing by uh, Thurston Harris, which you've almost definitely heard, even if you don't know the name of the song. Hey, so the next part might sound a little disjointed because we realized that we were recording for a long time yesterday. So if the mood level and any sort of sense of conversation that we were having before sounds a little bit off that's why but we're back at it <laughs> yeah new day 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 three three <laughs> <laughs> recording our thoughts on this album listen i think that that's for the best because now we really have sat with it though oh for like, sure we've lived in this album now and i've gotten at least four listens to it which is pretty big yeah for me a person who notoriously does not listen to the music to the music hello yeah listen to, the to music. music if i'm not in my car and i work from home so oh yeah <laughs> that's, imagine how that's fair yeah i really have just kind of had it on repeat for since friday exactly so i, wouldn't I am less. sure that my listen count is at least in the double digits all the way through yeah i love that yeah including just like occasionally at work i'm gonna be like hi everyone we're listening to heaven iowa now because i've decided that we are and just like decimating the vibes in the cafe (laughs) i bring a certain kind of sad (laughs) fallout boy music vibe to the to the um corporate cafe that they don't really appreciate (laughs) they do appreciate it we got a customer comment that was like playlist 10 out of 10 all bangers and my boss was like okay so you're not actually supposed to do this but like <laughs> people like it so whatever that's right because you're supposed to listen to like the corporate like given we're supposed to listen to the music the that artists are paying us to play in the cafe or that we have paid artists to play in the cafe and we don't do that because it's bad um and <laughs> i like fuck i had a conversation with my district manager where she came in and she was like how come you're never playing the right music in here and i was like listen the last time i plugged it into like the actual store music i heard the same billy eilish song six times in one hour and like i like her i listen to billy eilish on purpose i can't do that like no <laughs> that like, Unless it's my little hyperfixation zone and I'm the one deciding the music. I'm the captain now where we listen to the same song on repeat exactly. several times in one hour. And like customers not were complaining. on purpose. I was like, I tried to be good and it just, it, it it wasn't working. So now we're listening to Jimmy Eat World today. And she was like, okay. Getting the kids yeah. back into it. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to get started now again. It was no time for you, but hours for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're time traveling. Pink Shell. We're, yeah. Which I think we talked a little bit about how 
this is for me for now if I didn't mention it earlier. The Uma Thurman, Ethan Hawke family of products in the Fall of Boy Cinematic <laughs> Universe. Yes. We did talk about this because we talked about okay. the next album is going to have uh, Maya. There's a, uh, I saw a really cool, this is one of the spoken word, um, one of two spoken word mm-hmm. tracks on the album. And I saw this like web weaving intertextuality things on Tumblr. Mm-hmm comparing this to i think succession Mm -hmm. and my shit was fucking rocked or was it not succession hold on which happy succession sunday everyone new season of succession hope you're all enjoying it It if you're not watching it it was a really good episode get into it i'll give you my hbo max log and that's that's not true i won't give you that but (laughs) emotionally (laughs) i'm giving you my hbo login i'll give you a link to um, something uh, no, it was not to Succession. It was to comparing it to Everything Everywhere All at Once. Oh my gosh. I've seen people comparing parts of this album to Everything Everywhere All at Once, mm-hmm. especially with like the Pink Seashell and the uh, Field of Dreams and kind of that nihilism, nothing matters, life is so short, but it's also so long. And sometimes that'll make you either really, really careful or it'll make you really, really reckless. And you should Mm -hmm. do something crazy at least once in your life. I need to know so bad if Pete or anyone in Fallout Boy has seen this movie, because like, that is a Pete Wentz ass movie. I would be genuinely shocked if Pete Wentz has not watched this movie. Yeah, it's just like, it is so incredible. And I think that the, um, like, jumping between timelines and the, like, combating nihilism, like, that is mm-hmm. absolutely represented in everything, everywhere, all at once, and in this entire album. Yep. That's exactly what this, like, web weaving post pointed out. Can we link to this in, like, the show notes or on Twitter when we post this? Because, like, that's... Oh, yeah. I love those, that kind of post. Like... Yeah. I have said a million times that I really do attend the Pete Wentz School of Intertextuality, and I love seeing how different pieces of media can relate to each other, even Mm -hmm. stuff that you think wouldn't. Yeah, so we'll uh, put in the show notes or on Twitter or whatever a link to this uh, intertextuality post between this album and Everything Everywhere All at Once. And if you, listener, have not seen Everything Everywhere All at Once, fucking watch it. Yeah, it's... I can't imagine at this point that there are too many people who haven't seen it or who haven't at least heard about it because it really has been like dominating everything for the last little bit, but like deservedly. Oh, for sure. I I love film. I love movies. I don't watch movies despite this fact about myself. Mm-hmm. And every year I somehow end up picking the one movie that ends up getting nominated for a best picture. And like, that's the one out of the entire category that I've seen. And I just kind of root for it the entire time. And this last um, year's film cycle was everything everywhere all at once for me. That was the one I saw. Mm-hmm. And Solid know what? I've, I've been on a pretty good streak about watching one movie and it being the one that wins. Mm-hmm. So like, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And like, also it's good. Sometimes a movie wins and it sucks. This one's good. This one's good. This one deserved it. Glad that we had this moment about nihilism and realizing what about things about your parents and stuff instead of talking about the album, just talking about everything or everywhere all at once. But that's okay. Mm-hmm. And then I think we can move on to I Am My Own Muse, where in the track by track commentary that Andy and Pete did, uh, said that this was the most representative of the score like side of Patrick. Fully agree. Mm-hmm. 
he loves to get a studio orchestra involved as we know from folia do mm-hmm. there's a real cinematic quality to it again what we've been talking about this entire time where the album sounds like a movie musical film score mm-hmm. and pete really likes the bridge the bridge is the part on this album where i first started to cry <laughs> really yes um so like because fake out got me i think i mentioned that earlier yeah no that's very fair um it was on it wasn't even like the the lyrics it was like the guitar on the bridge like when Mm -hmm. patrick is singing i'm trying to keep it together but it gets a little harder when it never gets better and the guitar is like like joe is making it fucking sing like it briefly becomes a duet between patrick and joe's guitar and like that was when I was like, oh my god! Like it just sounded so good and so evocative that I was like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, like they they got me. I I'm gonna start yep. tearing up now. And then I started like actually properly crying like a couple songs later. Um, but this was the first like I was tearing up. I love that, <laughs> and it's fucking good. Like God, it's a good song. It is so good. Hold on, what's my favorite line from this? Well, I like that we also have the, um, we have knife mm-hmm. words in this one. And then we also have the scar-crossed lovers mm-hmm. in Heaven, Iowa. And mm-hmm. I just think there's, um, some themes <laughs> going on. Yeah, they're bringing back stuff already. Like, twist the knife again like we did last summer. And in the first song on the album, we get summer's falling through our fingers again like summer is always such a big theme with fallout boy like they are a summer band which is why when i saw in on like the love from the other side website when they had i'm in a winter mood i was like fuck because they're like a summer band what does it mean that we're now Mm -hmm. in a winter mood like this is going to be something else but like it's already like they're repeating that theme oh yeah which is so funny because to me whenever i listen to fall boy like yeah they're a summer band but i associate them so heavily with they're more of mm, they're like a fall band for me. Mm-hmm. I always feel like it's time to listen to Fall Boy in like fall and like early winter, mm-hmm. which is weird because they seem to be everyone else's summer band. But yeah, I mean, I just I guess it's just like because I hear in Pete's lyrics so often, like let the leaves fall off in summer, Fourth uh, of July. Like there's oh, just yeah. so <laughs> many references like to summer that I'm like, oh, like mm-hmm. this is. Like, a recurring theme in his, like, catalog of work. Maybe. I always just go based on, like, what bands, in terms of seasonality, not lyrics, but, like, sound and what I end up listening to them the most often. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm always listening to Fall Boy in the wintertime because I want it to be summer. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, And then moving on from I Am My Own Muse, which, oh, do we want to get into just, like, the reclamation of Pete, like having patrick sing those words which Which... feels (laughs) is crazy which ones oh just like in general like i am my own muse and i'm like it's funny that you know p is making once again using patrick as a mouthpiece (laughs) for a song called that when pete writes for patrick to sing yeah so i mean here's the thing is pete has said a billion years ago on one of his blog entries that he thinks his lyrics only make sense coming out of Patrick's mouth. And mm-hmm. Patrick has said that the way that he writes Fallout Boy songs is that he has to see the lyrics first and that the music literally writes itself. Like, 
he said, like, I read the lyrics and, like, the rhythm just kind of, like, is already there. Yeah. And that, like, like, he said, like, Pete doesn't really consider himself, like, a composer. And then Patrick will read his lyrics and be like, okay, but there's, like, a rhythm and there's, like, a syncopation that, like, Mm -hmm. you can literally just see. And it's like, okay, they, it's very, I am my own muse, but if I as in Pete and Patrick as one person, you know? (laughs) Like, yeah. (laughs) Which is how they talk about their artistic process like they say this all they're the time crazy. they're like yeah we're like two halves they're of, nuts about we, each other they, they say in interviews like we make up one member of fallout boy like it's like what what's the greek myth about you know people being oh yeah, yeah, like, yeah. trying to look for their other ha- yeah like they're proof of that yeah that's <laughs> it's true but literally only for them <laughs> like but like they're the only case where that actually makes real sense it's genuinely like and i've said this to you before and you got so mad at me but it's like they are the hinata and kageyama of pop punk where it's like i'll kick your ass for that again (laughs) where it's like they both have these styles of working that are so perfectly suited to each other that like when they work with other people it's like what are you doing they can't do the jump quick they can't do the jump quick attack yeah, but, like, or Patrick quick, has said that working with Pete for 20 years and, like, with how, like, fastidious Pete is about, like, arranging words and how fussy he is mm-hmm. about, like, I want this word here and how he'll know exactly, like, Patrick has said, like, I'll add, like, connective tissue, I'll add a the, I'll add an and, and Pete will look at it and be like, I, I didn't write that one. Like, we gotta take that out. That one, <laughs> that one wasn't me. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And Patrick has said that now when he works on scores and when like the directors, or the producers are like, oh, actually, we need this changed a little. He said, like, I guess it's very common for composers to be kind of precious about their work. But he's just kind of like, oh, no, like I've worked with Pete for like 20 years. So like I am very used to this like extreme nitpickiness about what the mood mm-hmm. needs to be. So it's for sure. It's just extremely like the fact that they were ever not playing together is a tragedy because like mm-hmm. they were fucking designed in a lab to be working together because like their skills complement each other so well except they're yeah. real fucking people who just exist like that and it's which beautiful. is crazy <laughs> like how lucky are we to be in the same timeline as Pete and Patrick. Genuinely. And, like, obviously it's a little bit getting into, like, the mythologizing of, like, these big bands and, like, crafting the narrative around them. But it is also just how they talk about each other. Like, that's the story that they are telling. So, I mean, it's a little, it's a little bit of, like, my, like, pattern-seeking brain just being, like, oh, like, I'm gonna, like, make this, this, like, big, grandiose thing that it isn't really. But, like, it's also a little bit just true. Yeah, for sure. So then we're going to move on to Flu Game, which is in reference to Michael Jordan's game when he played when he was sick, which I'm glad you made that note because um, I don't give a shit about basketball. and I would have never known that. Yeah? Yeah. I like know. Sorry, I'm eating my weird Skittles again. Stop <laughs> eating the fucking Skittles. <laughs> How many Skittles are in that bag? I don't know, but there's still at least like 20 Skittles left. Unreal. And it's a tiny bag too. Fuck. Um, but yeah, I don't know much about basketball. Like at all. It was 1997 in the finals. It was game five of the finals. I think I there, was two. I think there are six <laughs> games. Um, 
and he was sick and suffering from flu-like symptoms. And he was playing for the Chicago Bulls at this point. Mm, okay, um, makes sense why they would reference that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it the game tied, but Michael Jordan like got like thirty eight points in that game, which is crazy. That's insane. Also, apparently, you watch basketball; they're scoring like all the fucking time in that sport. Yeah, how like and what I've seen in sports movies would have led me to believe that they don't actually get the hoops very often, and like the only point scored in the entire game happens in the last two seconds it is like every five seconds someone is getting a point and like compared to like i don't really watch a lot of sports but like the one that i just have proximity to the most is hockey where if -hmm. there's like one point in a game that's a lot you know yeah if like i'm now my like hockey bullshit Mm -hmm. i think i'm going to a playoffs game not a playoffs game going to like the last game or so before the devil start going to the um the playoffs Mm -hmm. Um, which they clinched their playoff position before the Rangers did, and that's important to me. I'm going to keep that in the podcast. But <laughs> yeah, they score like that. If there's two like goals scored during a thing, that's big. And same deal with soccer. Mm-hmm. Like I went to um, the Red Bulls, the New York Red Bulls is opening match a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and it ended in a draw of zero zero. What the fuck? And that's just how soccer is sometimes. Yeah. That sucks. And then the next game I went to, they scored like three points against. It was like three one or something like that. But and, and like they like, don't even fight in soccer. Like hockey, at least someone is gonna like, like they're gonna hit each other with sticks. You know? Yeah. Like no one's even fighting in soccer. If someone pushes someone, it's hands up. It, someone's rolling on the floor three oh, times over to God. like milk the amount of time for like stoppage time. It's stupid. See when. My high school gym class did soccer for like a month. It was fully just like every girl in my class, like taking it as an excuse to be like, we're all just going to kick each other in the shin so fucking hard. Like, yeah, get, that sounds about right. Get on opposite teams from someone that you're pissed at that week and you're just going to fucking kick the shit out of each other. And it's fine. And like that worked for us. But yeah, besides our brief moment where we became a sports podcast. Um... Yeah. <laughs> he says that flu game uh, is all over the place. Coming off of Dan's Dance and 16 Candles, we wanted to refresh and put out Arms Race, which seemed insane. And this is the reflective of that. It's a chaotic song, but Patrick sews it together. And your drums are great on this song, which he says to Andy. And Andy, <coughs> excuse me, Andy responds with, this was a really fun song to record. It's got a Lou Reedish beat. Mm-hmm. This song I wrote in our notes uh, fully sounds like a villain song from a musical to me specifically the i've got all this love i've got to keep to myself all this effort to make it look effortless like that part i it's it sounds like i'm listening to someone's like breakdown and like turn into being a bad guy this this would have done numbers on one slur tumbler (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) i have never heard you (laughs) guess so fucking loudly. Oh my god. The waveform for that is bigger than anything else that I've seen on here. Oh my god. <laughs> Sorry, that was just that scared me. <laughs> that was so scary. It's true though. Oh my god. Sorry. You Sorry need to, to read the song for you. You need to get together with that person who like I'm sure you've seen that post that was, like, going around this week that was, like, maybe you should try, like, 
MAOIs instead of SSRIs because like your current meds don't seem to be working for you and I can tell that because you just put the one slur on my fucking dash in 2023. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not my fault that the first when I hear turning into a villain that like it was one slur. Okay. That is your fault though. There's lots of villains. There's lots of villains it- in the world. <laughs> But the villains just kind of start off that way. No, you know? I mean, it gets it gets revealed that they are villains. I guess I don't know, like I like Alphaba, you know, with like no good deed, like that's okay. that that's her becoming a villain. Fucking the onesler. Here's the thing, though. <laughs> Here's the thing, like no. <laughs> I'm trying so hard to think of another villain. The thing is that, like, I do know that if Pete has seen that movie, he was for sure like, yeah, like, I'm that guy, you know? Also, he looked, the onesler in the beginning of that movie looked so much like Ryan Ross in Pretty Odd Era. Oh, no. Yeah, he does. Oh, we can't keep talking (laughs) about this. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll move on to say that, like, one of my favorite uh, lyrics in this, because I love a refer- a lyric that references something else. It's, like, my favorite thing in lyrics mm-hmm. in general. It's why, like, A More Perfect Union by the band Tati Sandronicus is, like, one of my favorite songs ever. Because it's so referential to mythology surrounding New Jersey. Because mm-hmm. it just references so much shit mm-hmm. that I love that. So when I have a line, like, somewhere between Mike Tyson and Van Gogh. When it comes <gasps> I to, love I can't it. stop, can't stop till we catch all your ears, though. Which is, like... One, I love a reference song, but also it's it goes back to the one of the like foundational like things about this band. Mm-hmm. Well not band, I mean foundational things about this album where it's a return to caring about the fans in writing an album for the fans rather than writing an entire album for the sake of commercial success, which is which is not something they ever really did. But mm-hmm. It's no secret that Pete had always wanted the band to get big. Like, we have the the line, like, I'm stealing this from a genius annotation, but, like, it's right here. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, he has the line, we only want to sing you to sleep in your bedroom speakers. Mm-hmm. And, like, constantly reaching a wider audience. And this time it's, like, all right, well, we're writing it for you, but also... It's very, like, we're writing it for you, but also it's a little bit of an act of violence. Mm-hmm. You know, very, I don't care what you think as long as it's about me. Or wear a bowl, your ears are just a china shop. Like, mm-hmm. and even the Van Gogh reference, which, like, Infinity on High is named after a Van Gogh quote. Like, yeah. that's, like, it is foundational to the entire band. Because, like, even Pete has said like that he kind of considers this album to be, like, a, a reflection of Infinity on High more than any other album. Mm-hmm. This also, like is another part on the album where like Joe's guitar is fully having a duet with Patrick on Mm -hmm. the final pre-chorus when Patrick sings, I carved out a place in this world for two, but it's empty without you. And Joe's guitar is literally just like singing along to the exact same like notes, the exact same rhythm. And it just like is so good. Like I can, Mm -hmm. I I love to see it or hear it. It's just like, I love that despite Joe, Dip, dipping out in like the album cycle mm-hmm. for this which we've discussed prior i feel like his musicality with the guitar on this album is a lot stronger than it's been in previous albums mm-hmm. where i'm like 
there is no denying how important Joe specifically playing guitar is to this album mm-hmm. and how it can't be anyone else but Joe playing the guitar. Yeah, absolutely. Because mm-hmm. it's, and they've all said that, like, that, like, Joe will do, like, just, like, a little riff, like, at practice, and they'll all kind of zero in on it and be like, that's the thing. Like, that's what we need to put in the song. Mm-hmm. And, like, that'll be the thing that, like, makes it. Like, Patrick has said, like, he'll do like a composition and then joe will basically finish it by like filling in all the blank spaces that he's left that like he Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily notice until joe goes in and adds his like his layer on top it is not lost on me the like raytorisms in joe troman and the joe tromanisms in raytoro and i think that's really beautiful it is and they both have some of the best fucking hair in pop punk exactly like fuck it's like for a scene that like notoriously nobody has curly hair these guys were like doing it oh yeah like and doing it so well i like when i look at pictures of joe where like he had his long hair because it's short again now but like when he had it really long like Mm -hmm. it looks so good i want to know what he does to it i want to know how he does it what's his secret jewish but yeah no like that's for (laughs) that's for sure it like i (laughs) i can't go back and change that about me to make my hair better but like i unfortunately if converting would make it so that i had hair that good i would do it in a that's fair in a heartbeat i don't blame you on that one yeah so after this one we have our second spoken word moment read by the man himself (sighs) pete wentz um, on Baby Annihilation, mm-hmm. and it's the, the return of uh, his slam poetry era. I'm so happy. The title comes from A Little Annihilation into Baby Annihilation. Yeah, um, <laughs> which is cute, I think. And he has like his little soliloquy. <laughs> he does. I love a soliloquy. The thing that makes me crazy about this is that the lyrics everywhere are, ri- including in like the album booklet, are written as like orange leaves bore the ones falling off trees. He's saying, but we are. Like... I don't know why it says bore everywhere. That's not oh. a that's not a sentence. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. He says orange leaves, but we're the ones falling off trees. But like because of how he talks, it really does sound like he's just saying boyer. Yeah. So he it got can't help that he's from the Midwest. Written as bore. Yeah. Anyway, that's my compl- that's not his fault. I'm just like, who the fuck yeah. transcribed it like that? Anyway, I love love the return of Pete's emo slam poetry night. It is, has always been like one of my favorite elements of Fall Out Boy's music mm-hmm. has been the little moments of slam poetry to, again, remind people that I feel like Pete is a poet first and a music a musician second. Absolutely. Yeah. So like, I love that. Again, we get like kind of that theme of time, like right at the start of the, mm-hmm. the track. He says, time is luck and I wish ours overlapped more for longer. The delivery on this too is so different from like any other spoken word that he's done on any album like yeah he sounds so young in the spoken word at the end of 20 dollar nosebleed mm-hmm. like he sounds like a baby compared to how he sounds on this which makes sense because yeah. that was like how many years ago like God, like that was in 2009 almost yeah almost like 15 years now yeah so that that feels bad that's crazy yeah <laughs> But yeah, like he sounds like fully like a grown person. But at the same time, it's just, it's, it's so good. I just, I love hearing it. I missed it. Mm -hmm. I 
remember like as it was uh kind of being revealed that this album was coming i kept thinking like i hope that he either screams or does some spoken word and he said that he would only scream if it like felt really natural and authentic to the record and it's like okay Mm -hmm. but like like i know that you keep saying like if it's not authentic like the fans are gonna be able to tell and they won't like it and like yes that's true but like figure it out i miss the screaming Like, like I, are you hardcore or not? Yeah. Like, I just, I enjoy it. I want you to do it again. And I know I'm not going to get everything that I want. And that's fine. But, like, it's not Maybe fine. And I want it. Maybe next one. Yeah. Maybe next one. We don't need to do a full lyrical, like, po- uh, poetry analysis of just specifically why Pete read this one while Ethan Hawke read the other one. Yeah. I mean, that they just. be for another time. They just used a clip from the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And then next we have the song that I was most fearful of when the track listing mm. dropped, mm-hmm. which is Kintsugi Kid. Yeah. Kintsugi Kid, 10 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, it almost didn't make it onto the record, which is shocking to me because after Fake Out, this would probably be my favorite mm-hmm. track. Yeah. And it apparently reminds Pete of a Skrillex slash Diplo slash Bieber song, which okay yeah there's a specific song that he's talking about that i actually just like to have him bothered to listen to because i'm not a huge diplo person even though he did do that like interview recently where someone was like have you ever like gotten a blowjob from a man and he was like yeah probably and they were like you don't remember and he was like no but like it's probably happened and they were like you're just gonna say yeah and he was like yeah like definitely and they I, said, is yeah. that gay? And he said, if you don't make eye contact, I don't think it is. And honestly, I don't think he's right, but I can understand the logic. Well, I feel like there is a through line there that we don't need to get into on the actual podcast of, you know, gay above the waist <laughs> and shit. So, like, <laughs> real recognizes real on that one, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Bieber, I don't know about that one. Yeah. Skrillex, I, I honestly, I don't hear that in this song. But if it reminds Pete of that thing, as a person who wrote the song, sure. Yeah. Um, but he likes it a lot, and Marvel Jane, who is his kid, mm-hmm. uh, is howling at the end of it. Apparently, she's, like, very into howling. Yeah. Which I feel like every single little girl has to be weird in some way, and I'm very happy that Marvel Jane is weird in this way. Yeah. And is on an album, immortalizing it forever, which I don't know. She'll hate later on in life, and I hope she doesn't. <laughs> I hope so, too. I mean, he said that, like, she... Uh, is very excited to like have been in a rock band with this mm-hmm. um so i hope that she like is proud of it because i do think that it works with the song so well oh yeah like you're looking for your pack you know it's this is uh also the song on the album that like i like really properly started crying mm-hmm. like right in the first verse Patrick's, oh the second that yeah pete <laughs> mentions doses of fucking anything yeah i'm gonna lose my shit yeah it's uh it's you know (laughs) oh yeah it's that noise that i just made the we're going low 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 (laughs) i was like oh this is the one that's like gonna get me and like the the sound on this song too is like such like it's such a specific sound that like i cannot place because i am not that kind of music person but like the kind of echoey guitar like it's very of a time period it's like a little lo-fi yeah a little shoegazy it sounds like it would have been like on a movie sound like on a john cusack movie soundtrack like in the 80s yeah you know it's and like again i feel like there's a theme coming in here like 
rolling the highlights on your life and looking back on it. And again, like Pete throws this in every so often about passing by my old street and the house that I grew up in, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, same as on Lake Effect Kid, boomerang my head back to the city I grew up in. Like anytime he talks about home, it's just like devastating. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't help that the letters leading up to this were, again, titled A Homeboy's Life. Mm-hmm. So. <sighs> yeah. And, like, this song and also, I think, like, the whole album kind of being about going back to a place that you used to live, whether that be, like, literally or figuratively, and finding it different because you're different. And just, like, you can't yeah. reconcile that. It's like the hero's journey. You can't ever actually go back home because you are no longer fit to be home anymore. Yeah. Because you're not who you were when you left. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a an interview that they did with Kerrang! Radio, where Pete says, like, that he, in making this album, was kind of thinking about that scene from Labyrinth, where, like, the room is, like, recreated, and he's like, but everything is, like, too small and kind of falling apart, because, like... Mm -hmm. you're making something from memory like the memory is not the same for you as it is for the other person and obviously it's never going to be the same and like it's just like realizing that you're never ever going to be able to recreate this thing Mm -hmm. and like that's that's the song that's the album and like yeah the fucking lyrics on this got the wrong insides you don't know me anymore like yeah like okay yeah you we we're going low for sure like you're hurting my feelings but like i'm appreciating it and i hate that i can relate to this song exactly in some way shape or form Mm -hmm. and that sucks yeah (laughs) definitely but if there's one thing that pete's gonna do is put things that you're feeling into words Mm -hmm. and then so they're gonna slap and patrick's gonna do something to it that makes it nutsy cuckoo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Patrick's delivery in every single song on this album is just like exactly what it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to wrap up more towards the end of the album now with our second to last song, which is What a Time to Be Alive, which immediately with a song like What a Time to Be Alive, the themes that we've already been discussing with what this album is about, plus the fact that this is their first like post pandemic and heavy, heavy, heavy quotation marks album mm-hmm. um you're gonna be like ah shit and then the the music of it is incredibly patrick sounding mm-hmm. the juxtaposition between the musicality on this one sonically and the lyrics which is funny because like this was written apparently pre-pandemic mm-hmm. and then it ended up ringing a little bit more true and bad yeah the <laughs> quarantine the timing of everything is like the only part that got written post-pandemic or like mid-pandemic yeah. everything else was which written makes before. sense yeah yeah and patrick said on the zane lowe show the one that was the apple music interview said he wanted to write the most desperate song you could hear at a wedding mm-hmm. and this does have like huge wedding vibes yeah where it's what all of us when we're like in our 60s and are going to like weddings. And this, this, this is something I put for old folks. Exactly. <laughs> it's going to be this one. Um, and then Andy says it's thesis, antithesis, opposites, and what comes out of the pairing of the two. Basically, you know, juxtaposition between the, what the song sounds like versus what the lyrics are. Mm-hmm. 
to which the lyrics of this one include lines like we're gonna live stream the to live stream the apocalypse and i'm gonna go on on make me like a charm on your necklace mm-hmm. the that's the way the world is it used to be before our dreams start bursting at the seams i don't care if it's pretty the view so pretty from the deck of a sinking ship which another you know theme linking in um pete's lyrics over time is mentioning uh sinking ships mm-hmm. <laughs> and all that just like <gasps> god yeah but it's fun it's a fun song it's definitely one of those things that, like, if this was not a title track on the album, this is what I think a record label that isn't Fueled by Ramen would try to market as the single mm-hmm. from this album. And then it would go on the radio and it'd be like, wow, the song was so fun. And then everyone's like, hey, did everyone actually listen to the lyrics of this song? Yeah, because it's, it's devastating. Horrifying. Yeah. Like, the... So it seems the vulture's getting too full to fly. Mm-hmm. Hello? I just need someone to hold me even though you don't even know me. Like, it's it's so... It is genuinely the saddest song that you would ever hear at a wedding. It's desperate. It's yeah. like, I'm miserable, but I'm fucking dancing about it. It's genuinely just like Pete having a conversation with his therapist. Like, they say I should try meditation, but I don't want to be with my own thoughts. It never felt that much like medication. Like, mm-hmm. that's... It's so deeply, like, conversations that you would have, like, with people close to you. Except it is in a fucking Earth, Wind, and Fire song now. Yeah. And I feel like the the sequencing for the song was really good at being, like, the second to last song on the album. I think this is a a perfect place for it. Yeah, sandwiching this between, like, two extremely desolate in like the sense of, like the like, sad sounding songs mm-hmm. and they're just like okay everyone dance break like <laughs> we're having fun on this one it's incredible it's so fucking fun and this is also like the reason why when people are like the whole album sounds like old fallout boy again i'm like they weren't writing disco songs on from under the cork they tree weren't. they weren't even writing disco songs on mania they were incorporating a lot of afro beats and r&b but they weren't doing this this is new fallout boy thematically and some of what the backing stuff sounds like old stuff but there's new genres and new interpretations which is a thing that we've been like reiterating over and over and over again when yeah that it's very old meets new yes um and then we have our final song which is the aforementioned so much for stardust closing it out which this is one of the greatest songs like ever ran this song punched (laughs) me in the fucking stomach like fully just like grab me by the hair need me in the stomach and left me on the ground in a parking lot to bleed mm-hmm. out and die and then i died and now i'm back and i'm talking about it on the podcast and this is where we get in that i'm in a winter mood dreaming this spring now which mm-hmm. they're so smart for releasing his album when they did because of this lyrical yeah <laughs> like that was brilliant Pete is the smartest person alive. He's so fucking shrewd. Like, starting the lead up to this album at the very beginning of winter. Mm-hmm. Wait, when did the first thing for this album? Um, It was in December. No, it was in November. Oh, it was, was uh, November 28th. So it was solidly winter. I was going to say, uh, oh, winter doesn't start until December 21st. Not um, here, it doesn't. I was... <laughs> well, if we're going by what the planet is actually saying... The yeah. fucking positions of the shit, you know. Mm-hmm. There was snow on the ground. We got like two days of snow this year. I saw snow twice this year and it was gone in the same day. What the fuck? Girl, it snowed I here know. on Saturday. We got. No, like there's. Like it's been bad. It's been to the point now I'm like, I'm never going to see snow again in New Jersey. We got like, five sucks. inches two days ago. 
That's insane. It has mostly melted that. now because it's really hot today, but like it's it's uh it's still You're saying winter. that it's really hot today and it is fully <laughs> 38 degrees outside Fahrenheit. I don't know what that means. You know, I don't know what that means. It's six That's... degrees when I said to you that it was <laughs> Oh, I think I said it was eight. Six. Yeah. I was nice into the conversion for you. Yeah. That's forty four degrees Fahrenheit. It's it's five degrees Celsius here right now. And that is not hot. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. It's above zero, so the snow is melting. And I'm warm. Oh my god. I was like, I had to go stick my head in the freezer for like did it hit like seventy? Did it hit like a weird seventy degree day in Canada? That's probably like what, twelve for you? Not even. Because for some fucking reason, one degree Celsius encompasses 10 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> it was too hot. I didn't like it. it <laughs> and I wasn't the only one. It is literally colder there there than it is here I, today. I wasn't the only one. People at work and like customers and my coworkers were like, wow, it's warm. They were like coming in and like shedding layers. They were like, I need a cold drink right now or I'm going to die. I also, uh, dear listeners, I also need you to understand that Chloe complains about the heat every single summer. (laughs) Every single summer, it is like starting May 2nd. It is like, it is the hottest day I've ever had to encounter in my whole life. I have the fan going on. I have like a cool pack on my neck. It is so hot. I am sweating so much. And here I was in America thinking that it was like wow it must be like 85 it must be like 90 degrees in canada like i knew that we like we had similar climates but like wow that seems like really hot for ottawa like maybe ottawa is just different <laughs> ottawa is different ottawa is consistently and like the hottest I place found, in the country then i found out that the summer there is like 70 degrees <laughs> <laughs> that is nothing that is spring here Hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah, no, okay, listen, it's... Hang on. (laughs) Hang on. It's fully, like, 77 degrees. Okay? That's too hot. It is still below 80. That's too hot for people. That sounds like a beautiful day. I would be so thrilled for it to be the dead of July and it'd be 77 degrees out. Know what it's gonna be here in July? What? It's going to be like fucking 100. It. I'm doing the conversion for you now. It got to be 86 degrees Fahrenheit. That's like 30 degrees Celsius once while I was in elementary school. And they fucking sent us home. Because they were like, we, we cannot would, safely have you at the school. did not even have air conditioning. And they made us go to school when it was like 100 degrees out. That's why they sent us home. They were like, we don't have air conditioning anywhere except for the library. And we can't fit all of you in there. So, like, you you just have to go home because we can't oh my God. guarantee your safety when it's this hot. You're going to be fucked over when you're here for adjacent fest. I can't even tell you how scared I am. On a beach? Yeah. At the end of May? Yeah. You're going to be fucked. And then you're going to be here in August? Yeah. For Fallout Boy? I know. I'm terrified. Thank I, God we have seats. I have my like- fucking, like, 110 SPF that I'm bringing with me. Like, I'm I'm ready. I don't know. I've always been like this, too. Like, when I was a baby, the only way that my mom could get me to stop crying in winter when the heat was on in the house was she would have to carry me outside where it was, like, minus 30. And she said I would just, like, stop crying and, like, calm right down. She was like, she would, I would just fall asleep. I was like, thank thank God, a normal temperature. 
<laughs> I'm only going to have a little bit of sympathy for you. That's fair. I mean, I I don't expect anyone to to feel sorry for me because I know that I'm like... <laughs> yes, you do. Don't lie, you Leo I'm... bitch. <laughs> There's only one person that I've ever... I mean, realistically, I cannot. And I know that I cannot. I do wish that more people suffered like I suffer. And the only person who has ever agreed with me on this was this like 50 something year old lady who came into the record store and was like, it's so hot out today. And I was like, thank you. It is. It was like, I don't know, like 23 degrees. And she was like, everyone always tells me, well, we can't complain about the heat because it'll be winter soon, but I can complain about anything. And I was like, me too. You are my people. We (laughs) see each other. And I think about that lady all the time. I know. I've heard about this lady so much. I she feel was... like I've heard about this lady just as often as I've heard about your mother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Genuinely, she's so important <laughs> to me. She came and she was just like, I need a dance mix for my son's bar mitzvah and I hate summer. And I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love those specifically for the bar mitzvah. Yeah. Like... <laughs> he really liked, uh, he liked Lady Gaga. She wanted something with Lady Gaga on it. I hope he's good, doing good now. I am sure that he is because his mom's the best person in the world. How did we get here? How did we get here? I don't know. Anyway, it's all to say this song is so fucking sad. And Pete is talking about Christmas again. And there's sledgehammers to disco balls. We have the callback to the low, low lows. We have a callback to the top of the record with the would you train the pain for. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. This is a musical. This is a reprise. This is at the end of Les Mis when everyone is re-singing Do You Hear the People Sing? But it's in the afterlife. It's, We're on the barricade. <laughs> it's so... It is a killer of a song. Like, and it has so many callbacks to, like, earlier in the record. Like, which song is it that they mention Christmas on? Because there's I don't know. two. I think it might be Flu Game. Is it? This is, like, I think this is their apology for sequencing What a Catch Johnny incorrectly. Yeah, in uh, Flu Game, verse 2, confront all the pain like a gift under the tree. Uh, oh, please, I can't mm-hmm. be who you need me to be. And then, you know, another year of possibilities left unwrapped like gifts the day right after Christmas passed, and I'm pretty positive my pain isn't cool enough. So many callbacks to previous parts of the record. And mm-hmm. callbacks to... Or references to the logo itself, like that, like half white, half black smiley face that they've been using the entire time. One in the first verse, he says, mm-hmm. I feel like something that's been stretched out over and over again until I'm creased and I'm about to break right down the middle, split me right down the middle. And then the logo is something that has been split right down the middle. It's just like, it is all coming together. Like this is mm-hmm. genuinely like the most cohesive thing they've ever done. Like all of the parts are moving in sync. Absolutely. And wow, like that fucking when they bring back in another life, you are my babe in another life. You were the sunshine of my lifetime. What would you trade the pain for? I'm not sure. Like I was I was like lying there listening to it and it was fully just like like that was the like, oh, now I'm for real crying. And also Mm -hmm. I'm like curled in on myself because like I'm winded like it just like that's the that's the big musical moment of like that's follow boy, baby. That's the the leitmotif being played in a minor key, except it's in a different, like, a, in a, done it in a different way. And it's just so satisfying. Mm-hmm. And, like, it will fucking get you. And, like, it got me. So in uh, Hold Me Like a Grudge, when he sings, I thought I knew better. I thought it would get better. 
And then on I Am My Own Muse, it gets a little harder when it never gets better. And then again, on So Much for Stardust, we get I Used to Be a Real Go-Getter. I Used to Think It Would All Get Better. And like, again, on I Am My Own Muse, I'm trying to keep it together, which is like kind of like the part where I first started crying and then comes back to the stars are the same as ever and I don't have the guts to keep it together. Like there's such a journey and such a narrative that culminates in this song. And then also we have from reading off from Baby Annihilation, Charcoal Crush, Pixie Fever, Angel Dust, going back and then so much for Stardust. Mm-hmm. We're all yeah. going to be ashes in the wind. So I do want to ask what the narrative that you see is because I feel like it's probably similar to the narrative that I see in this album. The it, you mean like what P is constructing itself like a like a an arc or a theme or yeah. just like what I would imagine. Yes. Well, to me, the entire album is a lot of Fall Boys grappling with fame and stardom and being in the public eye and living up to expectations or not living up to expectations and the acceptance of you can't be everything that people want you to be so all you can do is try to be yourself and in the face of disaster and nihilism and emptiness all you can do is just try to survive and be you and just have to deal with the blows that are being given to you at that time Mm -hmm. you know and like i think just that's just it (laughs) yeah and a lot of acceptance Mm -hmm. it feels like a very like a a retrospective album in the way of we did all these other things and now we just kind of have to live with what we've kind of constructed for ourselves and how do we deal with the the fallout Mm -hmm. of that (laughs) Uh uh-huh What's your take? Okay, so we talked a little earlier about how it's not necessarily a concept album in that, like, there's, like, a clear beginning, middle, end story. Mm-hmm. But listening to them talk about how their concept for the sound was, like, what if we had never gone on hiatus and we just made an album right after Folia do, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, in the same sense, they're kind of excavating that time period for material and talking about, like, the issues with fame and with wanting to be with your audience and not having access to them Mm -hmm. to me this album and the narrative that i see emerging is very much like literally time travel (laughs) it's yeah like it feels like you could very easily have a story in here about being stuck in a time loop of trying to go back to an era that you feel like you didn't get right Mm -hmm. and trying to do it again and i like not in the sense that i'm like mining it for evidence and trying to like prove that they are intentionally writing about time travel it's just that like when they say like summer's falling through our fingers again like what would you trade the pain for over and over Mm -hmm. it's like like looking back and saying like how would i have done this differently like if i could have felt better what would i get instead and would that be worth it and i think the answer is ultimately no because you can't go back it's about going back to that time period and finding that it's not what they made it out to be and that Mm -hmm. they can't ever return they do just have to keep going forward with the work that they've done i feel like our two interpretations mush together oh 100 percent. yeah (laughs) make the whole thing go go together I, i do think that yours is also like very supported by what they have said like they did an interview with a line of best fit where pete said that it's kind of about the loneliness and the anger that you feel as an adult and like Mm -hmm. 
he says, like, as a child, like, there's a sadness that you can feel where there are people around to comfort you, where, like, you'll fall asleep in the car and they'll carry you inside, like, your bodyguard. And as an adult, the only person around, really, to say you're okay and make sure that you're happy is you. Like, you are responsible for yourself now. And, like, coming to terms with that. Yeah, like, I feel if I, if we had received this Fall Out Boy album at any other time in our lives, I don't think it would hit as hard as it does now, you know, being late 20s early 30s mm-hmm. and i hate to be the person being like i'm glad that i was a teenager when i was because the things that the the bands i listened to when i was a teenager are making now wouldn't hit the same if i were any younger yeah so i'm so sorry if you're a younger fall boy fan and didn't get that kind of growth arc with them yeah i mean it's definitely <laughs> not to say that you aren't still having like a deep appreciation for it just that oh, like for sure for sure for sure you know the you know like you understand things differently the older that you are and like i'm sure that young people have an understanding of it or like young like i'm not old but like that younger people are having an understanding of it that is now inaccessible to me because that's just how that's how time works that's that's how that's how time works that's what the album's about and you're gonna and you're gonna extrapolate your own meaning from anything Mm -hmm. but getting this now at like the age that i am i'm like oh god Mm -hmm. (laughs) this fuck (laughs) shit yeah but it's so weirdly affirming because like that yes that bookend that kind of allows you to to start it over and like play it again and it's like i know that the album's not going to end differently but like it's the same as with any other tragedy that like you watch over and over again because you're like well maybe maybe it'll be different this time you know yeah i think that's the attitude that you have to bring into like getting up every day yeah damn (laughs) shit that's all to say this was a really fucking good album. Album of all time. I can't handle how good it is. I am so glad to, again, live in the same timeline as Pete and Patrick and the rest of Fall Out Boy. Mm-hmm. And that there is still a Fall Out Boy here today to write an album like this. And that it was possible. <laughs> and it's here now. And we we're lucky enough to listen to it. I'm just so happy. Yeah. And that it sounds like they were happier while writing this than they have been while writing other albums and that what was motivating them was genuinely like love for what they were doing and like care for each other it shows yeah and like that's what at this point in my life i'm like i would rather have good art when people are happy and Mm -hmm. when i find out that my favorite things were made while people were very sad and the people involved were hurting and were also hurting each other at the exact same time Mm -hmm. it makes me it it colors my view of my favorite thing so to now have an album that was very clearly made with love and care for each other and for the process means mm-hmm. a lot it's like the same thing with like I always our fucking time but my comfort is like my comfort is finally like laughing on stage and yeah. joking and there's real joy on stage and they're not like kicking each other on stage yeah you know <laughs> Mm-hmm. Our faves got old and now they're happy. Yeah. And it's very, like, at the, at, and this is, like, not about Fall Out Boy, but, like, it applies to them, too, is that now that that My Chem Tour is over and, like, I see how much fun they had with that and how happy they were on stage, it's, mm-hmm. like, if I never get anything from them again, like, the knowledge that the last thing they did they actually enjoyed versus the last show Danger that we days. got. Yeah. <laughs> The last show that we got pre-breakup where, like, Gerard is visibly miserable on stage. Ray is kind of, like, checking in on him constantly to be like, can we keep going? Or, like, do we need to to leave, you know? 
mm-hmm. like versus what we have now where like they do sound check for two hours every day because they enjoy they're having fun. what they're doing and they like playing together again and yeah. that feels like if fall boy wasn't enjoying what they were doing on this album we wouldn't have gotten you know fucking six months <laughs> like lead up to the album no and, and we wouldn't have gotten like the like level of drum and guitar that we have on mm-hmm. it exactly oh i just found that i apparently was trying to handwrite notes when i first listened to this and my <laughs> only notes were wow i just noticed this on my desk um not to completely detract from the <laughs> our old our phase or old and happy talk uh-huh. but my notes from heartbreak feels so good was more theming and then nicole kidman <laughs> yes yeah i think my line on that was we come to this place <laughs> even heartbreak feels good in a place like this in a place like this <laughs> and i'm like wow movies so cinema. true so if true that related like that was my of course it is though that. of course it is and then i wrote that hold me like a grudge is michael jackson as fuck it is the baseline is also very another one bites the dust uh and then flu game was i don't can't even read my fucking handwriting oh is pete good with a bunch of question marks (laughs) (laughs) of course not he's turning into the one slur (laughs) (laughs) no the one slur does have very similar hair to pete circa like 2006 yeah I know that he loves that. I don't know if he's seen it, but I know that he loves that movie. I know that, like, his kids have definitely watched The Lorax. Yeah, fuck. And those are all my notes I initially wrote that it never <laughs> brought up in our initial track by track that I'm saving now for the very end of the pod. They're good, though. <laughs> Thanks. Those are my really thoughtful, deep, analytical, really toothsome notes that you come yeah. to so we might fell apart for. The themes are apart. theming. Yep. You got anything else to say about the album? Or are, we, are we good to rap? I think we're good to wrap. Hell yeah. Um, And so that brings us to the end of this very long podcast. If I don't chop it into one episode, it might get chopped up into different parts. So if this was a two-parter, thanks for listening to the first part of the, our first episode leading up to this. If it's one long one, thanks for listening to all of it in one <laughs> go. It's much appreciated. Um. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on your podcatcher of choice. Um, If your podcatcher of choice allows for that, even if it's just uh, tossing in a couple stars, an actual written review, it is greatly appreciated. And also, like, share the episode with your friends. Any share of word of mouth really helps us out. Um, In addition, follow us over on Twitter at SoEmoPod, where we let you know immediately when an episode goes live. And also, we sometimes make good jokes on there. Additionally, if we reference images or certain links in an episode, we'll post them on Twitter as well as in the show notes as well, because sometimes show notes are hard to access on apps if you're listening on your phone or something. So we also put them on Twitter. And also, if you add us, we will respond. It's not like Mm -hmm. (laughs) we're so inundated with listeners that we don't see everything. So we do see everything. So if you have a thing you want to say directly to us, we'll see it. Just be normal. And we'll eventually probably get an Instagram. But for now, Twitter is our only official social media. So that's where you will get all information about us over out there. And as always, this podcast is powered by Moonshot Podcast Network. And thank you so much to them for their ongoing support and giving us a platform. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Kung Fu Grip. Kung Fu Grip. As you can see, I had to use my uh, judo on Gerard. Yeah, I see that Gerard's actually gone to pieces here during this interview. 
Sometimes it happens. I just got so emo, I fell apart. That's what actually happened. You got that sad? This April, the Moonshot Podcast Network is doing something new. Unparalleled. Something nobody has done before. We're asking you for money. This month is the first ever Moonshot Patreon drive. Between April 1st and 30th, we're hoping to bring in 30 new and upgrading patrons to patreon.com slash moonshotnetwork. That's one per day. The money we make on Patreon is what helps our podcasters get things like new mics, show art, and music. It also helps us put on our bigger streaming events, advertise our shows, and think even bigger. If you know us, you know we like to think bigger. Join the Patreon in April and you'll get a bunch of drive-exclusive new podcasts, including actual plays, improv comedy, and a roundtable show with some of the hosts of our book talk shows like Three Little Words and Kahooligans. $5 Patreons get to join us for a game night on our Minecraft server on April 7th where we take down the Ender Dragon together. You hate that guy, so do we. Help us kill him. You'll also get access to all of our usual monthly output like Once Missed Wonders, early episodes of Champs in the Making, and more. So please join us or upgrade with us today on Patreon for $1, $3, or $5 at patreon.com slash Moonshot Network. Visit us on Patreon or at Moonshot Pods on Twitter for more details about the drive. Patreon.com slash Moonshot Network.